Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 110 of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, guys, it's happened, and it's a weird news time, obviously. Um, big things, times are changing, etc., etc. Uh, how are you guys doing? Are you handling things well? Are you, are you upset? Are you in floods of tears, like you're favorite pop star just died or or just a you know are you a are you a bit sad has it not hit you yet you know are you sort of reeling are you or do you not give a fuck are you like are you like why the fuck is everyone so upset you know it's a it's an old lady dying i mean everyone seemed quite relaxed about old ladies dying a few days ago. Is that you? Lots of people saying it's, um, you know, it's very sad, but she had a great life. Um, she worked hard. She saw her life as duty and so on. There's a lot of that going around. Uh, I like to think of her like, I don't know, um, uh, like a booster rocket that's fulfilled its purpose. Um, I don't know. Where do you sit on this, you guys, dear listeners? Uh, are you a diehard lefty who wants a revolution and the royals strung up in the town square, if that's not too inappropriate? Or are you, you know, a bit indifferent? Are you a bit sort of, nah. Or, the other extreme, do you fucking love them? Are you one of these people who's like, oh, I, I love the royals, me. Yeah, I bloody love them. Can't get enough. Republican or royalist, or indifferent in the middle? Which are you? Because clearly that will govern where you sit on the grieving morning scale, won't it, you know? Maybe you're like, how come, <laughs> how come when my grand's freezing to death because she can't afford a heating bill, it's we can't wrap our arms around everyone. But when some old lady I've never met dies and I'm like I mean you know I'm sad for her family then people are like yeah but like where's your tears why aren't you sad you're not sad enough show me your tears or you hate Britain maybe you question things like that you know is that you because if that's you then you're also you know kind of me you know you, you sort of also me I like I sort of get it I understand that it's sad I feel bad for those that loved her. But also, then in terms of anyone else, you know, whether it's an MP or a GB News bellend or, you know, a royalist in the street in floods of tears, then I don't know. I'm, I'm, I find myself in my lesser moments becoming a little bit dismissive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, are you honestly this upset? Maybe you are. And it's, you know, maybe it's just not for me to question. Because there's clearly, you know, there's a little bit of Tory in that, isn't there? If you adopt that sort of dismissive, cynical thing, it's a little bit Tory. You know, it's, it's like when we shout at the government, like, hey, motherfucker, I care that you're killing disabled people with these cuts and this DWP back to work shit. And they're like. Yeah, but come on. Do you really? Oh, nonsense. You know, when they're all dismissive like that because they don't have any empathy. 
and they run on the fumes of cold, hard cynicism. And they look at anyone who shows compassion. Like, you know, look at this sobbing lefty. Listen, pal, the only, the only reason a person says things that you're saying is to fool, trick, manipulate and uh, gaslight people for their own benefit. That's the only reason you would feign empathy like this. So I know you're not being honest because the compassion-y, heartfelt stuff that you're saying, I only say when I'm lying to people. I view everyone through the same sociopathic lens that I view the world. You know, like there's a real Tory element to then being dismissive of other people's empathy and feelings and stuff. And so there's a, there's a danger of falling into that with this. Like, you know, I, I don't especially care that the Queen has passed away in, you know, in a, in a personal, visceral capacity. It hasn't really affected me. And so neither could you, really. You have to be lying. Which you, you know, you have to be real about. Some people do genuinely love her and are genuinely very upset that she's no longer here. And it is sad if if they are genuinely affected like that. And it's sad for her family, right? And those that knew her personally. And they'll no longer get to engage with her or, or have her at their table. And, you know, I I get that. I understand that. And then there's, you know, the fans, as it were. Like, like if you'd been funneled positive PR gush about your favourite pop star for five years and you'd grown to think that you kind of knew them and knew who they were and you loved them for who they are, you know, although realistically it's, you know, who they appear to be to you in the glossy pages of the magazines that you read about them in, right? It's like, it's PR gush. But then, like, if they died, you'd really feel that same sense of loss, wouldn't you? The same as Kurt Cobain fans all gathered and felt it. The same as Tupac Shakur fans held that vigil outside his hospital because they really felt that they'd grown to know this individual. Yes, all my pop culture references exist in the 90s. No, I don't care to update them. <laughs> the only thing sadder than a 41-year-old using out-of-date pop culture references is a 41-year-old Googling what the kids are into to try and stay up to date and down with the kids with his pop culture references. That's the only thing sad. Or, or a dead royal, which is also very, very sad, guys. Anyway, so so I get it. I get that it it could feel very real and sad and close to you. Right. And we can't necessarily dismiss that. Although I do, <laughs> because, you know, hands up, guys, I have faults and flaws. I do get judgy about this. Like, I do fall into the dismissive trap that I was just warning you not to fall into. Honestly, because, like, there's a big part of me that's like, come on, get a grip. You're 39. You're 39 years old or whatever, you know. You're team lead for the digital marketing team. You have five direct reports and you're crying like you're 14 and fucking take that split up. You know, it's just a bit much. I'm like, I'm like, be a bit bummed. Sure. 
you know, be compassionate for her family. That's fine. You can say I feel sad for her family and those that knew her. I feel very sad for Charles and the boys, you know, and so on. But you yourself crying at your desk is just. It's like those. It's like those people who. I don't know, like say there's some big news story on the TV one week, right? And then they come into the office. They're like, we we have to help the displaced people of Kong and Pow. Did you see the people of Kong and Pow? Like, why aren't you helping? They're displaced. They have nowhere to go. And you're like, yeah, but motherfucker, like you, you walked past seven homeless people on your way in. You literally looked them in the eye and felt nothing. You looked at them hungry, starving on the street. You looked at them while eating and then just got on the tube and came into the office and cried about displaced, hungry people. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a bit like that. It's because there's no like transactional compassion to it, is there? Do you understand what I mean? I have to be like careful. Like sometimes I worry when I'm when I'm using terms or I'm trying to explain or articulate what I've, sometimes I feel like, do I go into this sort of maniacal, bit too expressive, hard to actually understand? Like, do I just sound like a crazy person? So I'm going to like, I'll try and break it down so I don't sound like a complete lunatic. But there's no like transactional compassion to it when when it's just a person on the street. You're not going to get any ego stroking from helping that random person on the street. You know, unless a TV crew follows you around or you film yourself giving them 20 pounds so you can upload it on TikTok or, you know, something trashy like that. If you just give them half your pan of raisin. And left your water bottle with them or, you know, a £10 note towards a hostel. Like no one, no one would really know about it. You know, there's no currency to that. But shitting your tits about an earthquake on the news that everyone knows about and then wrapping it around yourself. Like there's more ego and stroking and self-filating to that. You know, it's just, if you become the face of the current tragedy rather than the you know very similar thing displacement, hunger, injustice, that's sitting literally right on your doorstep and also desperately needs solving. <laughs> I think there's, you know, there's transactional compassion to going on the TV and, you know, feigning that you're a little bit more upset than perhaps you actually are. I don't like I don't want to criticise people or tell people how to grieve, but I I wonder to what extent there's a bit of that to this. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe just some people are sad right now and you should just shut the fuck up, Aid. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird time, isn't it? And and I know, like we 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 open ourselves up to accusations of being classless. Or crass if we speak ill of the dead, don't we? Or if we disrespect those who are genuinely mourning. But there's not really anything lower than speaking ill of the dead in our in our culture. You know, you don't really want to be the kind you know, like where your mate goes, "Oh, my dad just died. I'm really bummed out." And you're like, <laughs> "You fucking pussy." You don't want to be that guy. But I just like, I just wonder how many. Of the 30-something people in floods of tears about it 
or giving vox pops about their personal sense of loss. There's a national sense of loss. Oh, we've really, you know, it's really hit us hard. I wonder how many of them are theatre school kids, you know? How many of them, this is actually not that abnormal for them to make a fucking mountain out of a mole. How many of them, like, their mates are like, yeah, I mean, I like Paul, but fuck me, he's a bit high maintenance. Do you remember that time he sat us all round a table like it was some fucking intervention, you know, he's a drama kid, it was like an intervention, it was just a, like, he felt like he had to personally tell us how attacked he felt, because we didn't provide a vegan option at the engagement barbecue, like, how many of these people are that guy, you know, there's just a bit too much drama to them, they make a mountain out of a molehill, and this is another opportunity for them to express their truth, uh, you know, I know I keep sort of going to and fro here, like, you know, I don't want to criticise people too much or tell them how to mourn or take the piss out of them. But on the other hand, I kind of like, like I keep telling friends of mine, I want to lean more into the comedy, piss take, humorist side of podcasting and politics rather than the just, you know, humorless, cold, hard activist side, you know? Like, I want there to be justice in the world and public services and care homes with dignity. But honestly, if I held like any position of power or influence, we all better pray I don't meet a good punchline on the way to the solutions. Because the joke comes first every time. <laughs> like, it really does. And I'm really like torn sometimes, you know. I do to and fro because I enjoy taking the piss. You know, nothing is sacred. Everything is open for piss takery, let alone discussion. And then I get this way. Oh, no, hang on. This is too far. Like, you know, people are genuinely hurting right now. They might genuinely be mourning and grieving like. And then I get worried, you know, am I going to get into trouble and trend on Twitter for being an uncaring monster at a time of national grieving like this, you know? And then I think if I do get in trouble like that. I need to have the recourse to be like, well, yeah, like, this is what I do. I take the piss. I'm a humorist. But I'm never going to have that recourse to be able to say, look, I'm a humorist, unless I relentlessly take the piss at times like this. So it's kind of I'm stuck in this self-perpetuating circle of being destined to be like to trend on Twitter for being an uncaring, piss taking, nothing is sacred piece of shit. But also at the same time, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Is this too far? <laughs> I don't know. Like, my, my brain immediately kicks in, like, yeah, but, like, why are they hurting? Why do they think this is a, a national time of greeting? Like, they don't even know her. Are they medicated? Are they brainwashed? Like, what the, what the fuck is this? And then I'm like, wait, you know, that's really unfeeling and Tory-ish and you're supposed to be centre-left and compassionate aid and, you know... And then again, I'm like, but it's way funner to take the piss, though, isn't it? Like, it just is. And then I start thinking, you know, if I don't let this stuff out, it's going to build up and come out in other mean ways, you know, like in the house, in the family home. And that's not good for my kids. So give me a fucking break. <laughs> Think of the kids, for God's sake. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be centre left and compassionate. 
Don't be so fucking judgy of me. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Right now, I feel like I'm, you know, constantly at battle with myself between, you know, the left compassionate stuff and then the piss taking stuff. Like I want to campaign and be a bit activisty, but also deep down, I know too much of the shit I've said in stand up routines and tweets and dumb songs from back in the back in the day, like has meant I would just be way easy to take down. Like if I was some sort of super earnest, you know, Owen Jonesy type, right on, lefty, untouchable, purist guy, like that's not me. You know, if I think back to some of the fucking rap songs that we wrote back in the day, I mean, if I honestly stood on a platform to become an MP, Secretary of State for like defence or women's issues or like some, you know, some sort of super progressed progressive thing, it would honestly it would take about 24 hours to take me down. They would be like, oh, well, hang on. He's saying we should effectively tax Starbucks, Starbucks. And fund the NHS. That's what he's saying. But that's weird. Because in 2005, he wrote a rap song called Murder Your Grandma. No, really, murder that old bitch. You know, like, I've just got too much. There's too much damage to me. And I just, I just want to take the piss. You know? So then I started thinking, like, you know, maybe it's just better to build a podcast. And a Twitter audience based on taking the fucking piss. You know? being a relentless piss taker than than to, you know, pretend to be always offended and humorless and faux earnest all the time, you know? Because honestly, there's like, here's the weird thing as well. People who have a dark sense of humor, who joke about the worst fucking things, whether it is like, I, I don't know, t topic A or topic B or, you know, not taking the death of the queen too seriously or, you know, this and that. Like people who joke about the worst things, in my experience, nicest people you could ever fucking meet. And it's so weird because it's like, you know, their persona or their jokes or their blogs or their stand up routines might be absolutely fucking abhorrent. <laughs> and yet they're always super, super sweet people in my experience. I'm not saying they're all like that. There's a really interesting um, Patton Os Oswalt. Uh, if you're not, is it Oswalt? Patton Oswalt? Oswalt. Can't remember now. If you type in Patton Oswalt, I'm sure you'll get to him anyway. And he wrote he wrote a blog or was it like an article or something? Uh, this was, it must be about 10 years ago now, um, where he was talking about dark comedians versus like, you know, family friendly comedians. And he was talking about, I can't remember who was in trouble at that point. Some stand-up comedian, I think, was being attacked for being a bit dark or a bit crass or unfeeling or whatever. Uh, and he wheeled out this example of this family-friendly comedian uh, who used to chastise the other comics in the back in the green room and say, you know, you don't need to swear. You don't need to say horrible things. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. And then, and then in his blog, he was like, and that guy is now serving like something like three consecutive life sentences for like like climbing in to dormitories and like raping and attacking women like and his point was you know people who do family friendly comedy or material or output 
are, that does not make them a nice person. And actually, often it works in the reverse. Like people who who talk about the worst shit are sort of bringing light to these horrible topics and helping us find a way to exist in a world that these horrible things exist by sort of being able to, to some extent, laugh at them. You know, I don't know if I'm articulating that in, in as good a way as he did. Clearly not. Um because it's fucking half nine on a Saturday morning and I'm super tired. But um, but you should check it out if you're interested in like the differences between like dark comedy and family friendly comedy and, and why we shouldn't necessarily criticise comedians for using bad language or uh, clumsy metaphors or, you know, uh, it's a really good read. Uh, so, yeah, if you Google Patton Oswalt, I'm sure you could probably find it. Um, but it's true. It's, I, I think I mentioned this before. It's true also of like musicians, like if you've ever met like goths or hung out with goths, nicest people in the world. And it's so strange. It's like such a contrast because like you, you, you'd meet friends like I went to music college and you would meet these guys and, you know, like they would listen to music or play in a band for like seven hours a day. And like the music would be shit like like be my death bride sit on my murder throne in hell with me you know that sort of stuff and then you go to pick them up later you know meet them for a pint knock on their door you're like are you ready to go they're like yeah just um give me another 10 minutes do you, do you want to come in for a cheeky cuppa yeah make yourself at home sit on the beanbag you know the nicest people in the world and yet you know their output their creative output is like death murder kill war. it's like I always felt like it's because they've exorcised the, you know, they've got all the hate and violence out of their system and, you know, band practice earlier that afternoon. And now, because they've got it all out of their system, all that's left within them is just nice, you know? <laughs> anyway, huge tangent there. We're supposed to be talking about the Queen, guys. Show some respect. Um... What was I talking about? Speaking ill of the dead, wasn't I? And look, I I don't want to get too cunty on here. Uh, but when people say you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, you know, like it's crass, it's classless, you know, oh, stay classy aid. <sighs> you shouldn't speak ill of the dead. Can I just say there is no better time to speak ill of someone than when they're dead. There just isn't because <laughs> they can't hear it. And it can't possibly get back to them. There are zero repercussions. None. You can say whatever you like. When people are dead. Hey, I heard your Uncle Paul died. That's sad. Yeah, are you, are you OK? Yeah, no, I'm fine. Um, he was a moocher. And actually, that prick still owed me 30 quid when he snuffed it. It's not even in his will. <laughs> people all gasp. <gasps> Don't speak ill of the dead. It's like, well, you, you know. You want me to call him a moocher when he was alive to his face? The guy was fucking 6'3 and 16 stone. He would have pummeled me. It's, it, it's just way smarter to say this stuff now. I do get that you don't, you know, you don't want to disrespect those who are genuinely grieving. I understand that. But truly, genuinely is the key word here. You know, there's a lot of weird levels deep for show mourning. With the Queen in journo political circles, I think. 
I mean, like I said, like if you're sad and effective uh, and affected, I, I sort of get it. If you're like a fan, you know, in the same way that I was upset when Band X split up back in the day, like I kind of I kind of get it. But I don't believe people like Darren Grimes are as upset as they pretend to be outwardly, you know. People like him, and it's not just him, you know, there's a whole fucking subset of shit journalists out there that they'll post a load of shit to Twitter about how upset and saddened they are. And, you know, here's, here's my favourite bit is when like they'll post shit about how they find it abhorrent that the left would take this time of grieving to get on their soapbox, which is, of course, them getting on their soapbox. <laughs> it's abhorrent. The left would be politicking at this time, he said to an unspecified invisible leftist for no reason other than to score political points from his soapbox at a time of grieving, thereby offending himself, presumably. It's like, it's disgraceful when people do exactly what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Zero self-awareness. It's like... It's like, don't masturbate in public. Don't. Let go of your dick. I said stop it. Ugh. When I'm finished wanking, we're going to have a real word about this. <laughs> like, a lot of weird paradoxical grandstanding is going on. A lot of shilling. A lot of vapid, transparent grandstanding seeking to draw that line in the sand. Like, hey, Johnny, the Queen's died. Man, the Queen's died. Well, I I certainly hope the shameless, mean-spirited left with their cold, dark hearts and tar running through their veins won't be taking this opportunity to score political points. <laughs> I mean, I've tweeted about him and I've mentioned him on yesterday's TikTok, but Darren Grimes is one of these to me in my opinion he's, he just is i don't think he really gives a shit but i think he knows that the 57 year olds like the conservative ultras that watch his show fucking love the pomp and queen and britishness and flags uh, you know god they love the flags so so he makes the calculation probably correctly that if he speaks a certain way it'll get him a few hundred retweets by flag emoji Twitter and a few, I don't know, viewers. Does GB News still get viewers? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get too, you know, showboaty here, but I'm pretty sure I have TikToks that have got more views than his TV show. Uh, and you might think, look, it takes all sorts. You might think maybe he just grew up in a family that was quite royalist. Maybe he just loves the queen. You know, but then it's like, I mean, he used to be a fashion student, liberal Democrat, didn't he? Famously at Brighton University, a liberal Democrat. He used to be quite normal. But at some point he pivoted. And he became this young conservative Brexiter. Like what changed him? What radicalized him? Why do people call him a grifter so much? You know, a grifter. A word that that brings with it like, um, you know, 
connotations of insincerity and opportunism for personal gain. And when you wrap all of that up, do you think he's probably just a, you know, a big fan of Queenie, a huge fan of Queenie that wells up and starts blubbing in his words on Twitter? You know, oh, that's me blubbing again over the Queen's passing. But do we actually think he sat there blubbing, watching the parliamentary speeches about Her Majesty, this 29 year old? Gen Z media kid. We're supposed to believe that he's got the same teary, wounded sensibilities as a fucking 70 year old army widow with tattoos on her arms and, you know, whose husband died for the country. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying, am I supposed to believe that this 29 year old Gen Z kid is blubbing in the same way that a woman in that scenario with her nationalist and is nationalist the right word? Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm articulating this terribly. But am I supposed to believe that Darren Grimes is sat there blubbing? I just don't buy it. <laughs> Do you? Do you think he's sat there crying behind his Twitter while he's watching those speeches? Really? I think if you ask yourself, what is more likely on the balance of probabilities? That he is an anomaly among his age bracket, his dem- his demographic, young, gay, 29-year-old media guy, you know? What is more likely, that he's genuinely sat there in tears over this, despite very few of that demographic also doing so, or that the guy who everyone calls a grifter, who works for a TV news channel that peddles Britishness and anti-woke nonsense, is just... You know, trying to appeal to angry, anti-woke, 60 plus white people again. Which do you think it is? On balance, what is more likely? I always thought it'd be like fun to mess with him. (laughs) Like it'd be fun to start a campaign of brainwashing and conditioning Darren Grimes sort of thing, you know. Like, like if he really is just playing to the crowd, which I think, as I say, on the balance of probabilities, I think that's the case. If he really is just playing to them to perpetuate this idea that he's, you know, oh, he's all right, that Darren Grimes. You know, too many of these youngsters want it all handed to them for being a fucking lesbian, bipolar, non-binary, trans person of colour. They just want it handed to them. But he gets it. I like that lad, you know. If he does just construct his entire media output to feed that, to perpetuate that and keep getting the money in, the grift and so on, it would be funny as fuck to get a job as a runner or a junior producer at GB News, you know, and every day mock up your own custom print, Photoshop versions of the Daily Mail and the Sun and the Express like literal fake news and just leave them lying around with headlines on them, you know. Like photoshopped Daily Mail front pages for him to then construct his output around. You know, it says say stuff like um, uh, mail poll. Britons want back in the EU. <laughs> Maybe a Sun interview with Farage. It'd be like, I admit it was a mistake. Ribbits, Farage, too huge and hugely contrite. Harry Cole. The Express would have a, a front page headline like... Uh, 
trans rights. Turns out they are human beings and we should respect them more. You know, just these photoshopped progressive versions of the shit awful hate rags that he would then read and then consume and then construct his own <laughs> kind of mirrored replicated output. Just let this this stuff, you know, swirl around in Grimes's brain and sit back and laugh as his opinions start to change and reflect to what's already been written out there, to what he thinks his audience wants to consume. And it would be a self-perpetuating thing, by the way, if he started speaking a bit more sense. Then I think a few of his few viewers <laughs> would start speaking more sense, I think. And their friends would hear it a bit more and there would be, you know, more reasoned, less tribal nonsense out there. And maybe the country would be a better place. I mean, it would be fun to do that shit. Anyway, forget crimes. Need to stop giving that motherfucker any consideration, really. Lives in my head. And presumably his nan's rent free. Um, but yeah, I was... I was thinking a while ago, it would be fun to just print off a bunch of fake newspaper front pages and send them into all the big broadcasters, you know, like BBC Breakfast, Sky News, Radio 4 Today, Good Morning Britain, like anywhere that does a what the papers say segment. Because that's where it all goes wrong. I think I've, I've probably mentioned this before, but for any newer listeners, to some extent, Newspapers are meaningless because who the fuck buys a newspaper anymore? Like, that's what I always get when I rag on newspapers in videos and shit is people comment back going, nobody buys papers, though, aid. Nobody reads newspapers anymore, which is true. But it's the fact that they set the tone for the day on Sky, BBC, LBC, everything. Like, it's a soft blanketing of the news agenda. It is... It's a quilt of hate that's gently laid over the morning news shows. A, like a baton that's passed throughout the day. And it goes to everyone, left and right. You know, Nick Ferrari starts it, reads the papers. James O'Brien then responds to it in his own way. And it, look, he does a good job of trying to dismantle it. But even that, it's like he's spending his time appraising newspapers rather than focusing on, say, corporate tax avoidance and you know, institutional racism or army veterans being forgotten and so on. Not that he doesn't cover those things. I'm sure he does. But I mean, the time that he does spend on bashing the mail is still more time that could and should be spent looking at other shit, actual issues, you know, in a perfect world. And that's the, you know, sort of soft blanketing or curtain in action there, just you know, the papers set the tone and then left or right, the rest of the day is spent responding to it. Because it's like, you know, if you have majority right wing newspapers, which we do, it's like, I think it's 65 percent or 70 of our newspapers in the UK are right wing. And if they all have shit like fucking, you know, now 2000 illegals arrive in one day and you pay like that's going to get Nick Ferrari or whoever talking about asylum seekers Instead of fucking VIP lanes, you know, instead of government corruption, instead of them trying to disband standards committees. And, you know, you're talking about right wing pinch points instead of actual shit. 
Anyway, look, back to my idea. What if you ran over, a, uh, ran over? What if you ran off a load of fake ones, handed them to people like Nick Ferrari, Susanna Reid, the early morning guy on Sky. I can't remember his name. The whole lot of them. And the headlines were actually things that matter. You know, Brexit, the truth. No, like, tell me that isn't the greatest fucking idea for this since stop funding hate. Because you wouldn't even have to force the newspapers to report the truth or to be more compassionate or to attack people like Paul Dacre or Rupert Murdoch. You wouldn't have to force them to report things that you would rather they were reporting. You could just let them sell their paper editions to the fucking 37 people that still buy them while you and me commandeer the influence side of things. I think it's genius. But I suppose I would, you know, because it's my fucking idea. No one ever dreamt up an idea, threw it into the mix and then went, you know what? It's, it's, I don't know why I suggested that. That was shit. <laughs> It'd be an amazing prank to play. If you could get away with it, you know, for longer than a day. I don't think you could. I think after a day, you know, journalists would be phoning around and go, oh, you see the mail front, but that's that's really thrown a cat amongst the pigeons, I tell you. You know, and then the mail would be like, what the fuck? This isn't our page. Like, we didn't. That isn't our headline. But I think it would be a day max you could do it. Be amazing. It'd be like the journo-political equivalent of a kid stopping writing his own report cards. And finally, he hands you the one from the actual teacher and you finally get to see what's going on. Lift that veil. And finally, you're like, what the fuck? Like, you, you've skipped history and maths. Three times each. What the fuck are you playing? You know, the papers were telling me everything's wonderful and trust is going to save us from all these problems. Now you're telling me she's just as corrupt as Johnson and a mere mannequin. They wheel out to say stuff about hope and change, but the actual mechanics stay the same and we all get horse fucked. Is this real? Is this how things actually are? People would be like, oh, God, turn the lights off. Put me back in the Matrix. I was happy in my little... Daily Mail cocoon of misrepresentation, nonsense and hate. I was happy in there. You'd literally be the guy in the Matrix. You know, the guy who's like, ignorance is split. You know, he's eating the steak. So I just put me back. I want to be back in the Matrix. I want to be important and rich and famous. Eating steak, you know, put me back in my fantasy. Anyway, let's get back on topic here. What do you guys think about the uh, enforced official mourning period? We're now in an official mourning period of 10 days. 10 fucking days of mourning enforced. I'm going to be honest, I think it's a bit much. That will surprise none of you, I'm sure, that I think that. I mean, I'm still in mourning for Prince Philip, so this is actually an uncomfortable overlap. Um frankly. But 10 whole days of coverage of reactions, pundits. And yes, look, I know I know in some senses that's sort of what I do. Right. But at least the news kind of changes every day. At least there's some variety between, you know, cost of living and how you're fucked. And uh, oh, here's the housing crisis. And yes, you are also fucked. You know, at least there's shades to the red you know with this stuff i really feel like people will just switch it off 10 days 
And I think we saw that when Prince Philip died. Do you remember? When Prince Philip died, I remember uh, BBC and ITV audiences were down 60 fucking percent. on the previous week hilarious like what is that two four six so three quarters of people that normally watch the bbc and itv were like fuck this and to be honest like it shows such a disconnect between the sort of you know the boomer producers of the these institutions and the audiences they think they're serving and reflecting you know like a royal dies and their knee jerk reaction is people are going to want to see every single angle and talking head pundit and hot takes and cold takes and everything in between for days. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, people are like, wow, uh, guess I'll read a book. <laughs> Fuck this shit. I bet Netflix subscribers soared. In that week. You know. Like I get there's some value. To national identity. I don't personally subscribe to it much. You know. I am I like being British fine. I'm relatively proud of our country. As much as it's appropriate to be. <laughs> outside of you know. Exceptions of slavery. And conquering the world. And you know. Robbing jewels from nations that. And then storing them in museums. Where they still should not be. But. We're like, well, I don't, don't, we'll get round to returning them at some point. You know, I'm I'm as proud of Britain as is appropriate to be when the Olympics are on and the World Cup teams are playing and shit. I don't subscribe to this whole national identity thing in, in the same way that a lot of, you know, frankly, millions of other people do. You know, to the pomp, to having Hugh Edwards sat outside outside broadcast having you know reactions from people who've camped out on the street flags in the bbc studios different correspondents skype in and tell us what the queen meant to fucking manufacturing in durham you know or to the people of zambia or to the former secretary of state for education in the 1990s uh, flashbacks to the 60s and flags waving at the olympics and the queen smiling and buckingham palace and the jubilee like i get there's a place for britishness even if it doesn't personally pull me in significantly i I get it but 10 days fuck me here's a fun fact for you right last time they did this with prince philip do you know what the highest watched show was terrestrial tv do you know what the the show with the highest ratings was fucking goggle box <laughs> goggle box was the highest rate it was the most popular scheduling last time when it was wall-to-wall coverage of the royals the height the vote the vote i'm so used to talking about vote winners the highest rated show the most popular show on British tele British television, was <laughs> it's like like Britons were literally like, I would rather watch other people watching this coverage than the actual coverage. You know that's how turned off people are by enforced ten day morning coverage. Yeah, I just want to watch a family in Manchester watching this coverage and just see what they have to say about it because they're 
amateur, everyday person reactions are honestly of greater interest to me than the actual fucking coverage. That's how much of a turnoff it is. The only footage I want to see, I'll be honest, from this period, from Hugh Edwards, from endless Vox Pops, like an on the street interviews and shit, is when they cut to royalists on the Mall who've camped out all night or for days in deck chairs to get a good seat to shout their well wishes. Mentally ill people, frankly. These people are not well. If you camped out in the rain, like for this or for the royal wedding or the platinum jubilee or whatever, if you made a dress with a big E-R sewn in either side of you, or you're giving interviews to journalists crying about a lady that you've never met and who honestly would get you black ops thrown in a blacked out van and disappeared if you were in the same postcode as her. You have some fucking problems. <laughs> I know, I know that's a hard message to hear right now when you're mourning. Like shit, oh, I've just heard the Queen's died and I found out I'm a fucking loony. This is a bad week for me. But honestly, <laughs> overnight deck chairs and freezing your tits off in what has been torrential rain for a billionaire you've never met. I mean, you're like, you're radicalised, right? You, you must see that. I remember, I remember that campaign a couple of years ago, Weed for the Queen or some shit. I don't think it was called that. That sounds incredibly <laughs> open to being misinterpreted. Weed for the Queen. But it was, you know, as you'd expect, it was weeding for the Queen. Unpaid. There's a billionaire in a palace asking the public to do her weeding for free, for the honour. Weeding. On your hands and knees, getting blisters on your hands. For the honour of doing it for the Queen for no money. Like, people like that need to seriously check their self-esteem levels. And yes, that that is a stand-up comedian saying that. You should be like, like hang on, look. A comedian thinks someone else has low self-esteem. Wow, they must be fucked. Are they even a person or just a silently hovering black hole? Look, let me just let me just close up because we get it's getting late now, guys. Uh, let me just close up by saying. You're probably picking up by this point. I am not a royalist. I don't think that's a shock. Uh, I, I do think it's kind of done royalism, the royals, the Windsors, palaces, princesses. Like, it feels weird to me that we still have this now in 2022. It does feel outdated and undeserving. Uh, you know, when we give them like, what is it, about 100 million every year from tax money? While we're constantly told there's not enough money for this or that. But look, I mean, having said that, I'm also a bit like I get the Britishness aspect. So I don't think you could get rid of the monarchy completely. I think it serves a purpose. It serves as a distraction to some people, keeps them happy. But yeah, I I do think it should be wound down a bit. I think that's inarguable. It should be wound down a little. I don't think they need such an incessant, you know, overinflated PR team. I don't think we need to view all our British issues and conversations through prism of the Windsors, you know? We have soap operas for that. <laughs> Incidentally, I love that that's how we handle issues in this country, is through fucking 
royal gossip or soaps. <laughs> if you've got an issue that you want taken seriously, you had better hope it impacts a Middleton. <laughs> or bribe the scriptwriters on Corrie to handle it so it ends up in the sun and reveal and, and take a break magazine. You know, EastEnders Jamie on new trans storyline. That would get shit discussed more effectively than political lobbying, I imagine. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I think wind the royals down a little. I, I see the royals like like a lot of people see American police departments, you know, like I see the necessity to some extent, but just, you know, defund them a bit. <laughs> Hashtag defund the royals in this incredibly sensitive time of grieving. But you couldn't cancel them fully, you know. Jesus Christ, can you imagine the Dan Wooten editions and headlines and op-eds? Cancel the royals. You couldn't end the monarchy, I don't think. People would go fucking crazy. Like, people can't... They can't even handle their favourite box set ending. <laughs> people camp out in deck chairs in the rain insanely when one royal ends you know what the fuck would they do if you cancelled the entire like do you remember when game of thrones ended in a slightly substandard way and a million people signed a petition to try and get the whole season remade <laughs> that's like fake royals that's not even a real royal family and people were like no not happy with this fucking rewind it's like the opposite of cancelling. I, I would like it remade, actually. Thank you. When KFC closed for like three days, people called the fucking police. People, people are insane. You couldn't cancel the royals completely, but you could wind them down a bit. You know, 70% reduction of PR funding, I think, would be a good thing. Maybe sell a couple of palaces. I don't care what Edward thinks about stuff. Harry's gone. William and Kate, fine. Make them king and queen but just do we need to have fucking ribbon cutting and incessant pr coverage this is what kate thinks about it. i don't give a fuck <laughs> not everything has to be viewed through the prism of the windsors i don't think but yeah i think if you if you tried to cancel the monarchy completely i dread to think what fucking weird butterfly effect or, you know, unravelling of society you would cause if you unthreaded the very fabric of some people's identity like that. You know, you'd be like, there's no more monarchy. That's it. It's over. People would be like, oh, shit. I mean, who even am I? You know, <laughs> people who have constructed, they've based their entire identity and life around the monarchy. It would be like when your favourite boxer ends, you know, you feel a bit bummed out. You're like, oh, man. What are we going to do with our evenings now that X has ended? What are we going to do with... I've just finished Lost. I don't know what to do with myself now. <laughs> I'm a bit lost. You know, it's, it's like that. But then the monarchy... Who even am I? I don't know what would happen if you did that. If you took that away from some people, they might actually be forced to look at their own lives and not talk to their friends over, you know, about how much of a monster Megan is and... Kate and how they never got on and this and that and the Oprah, inter you know, they might actually have to take a look at themselves. And that could be incredibly damaging. 
because these people are disgusting. No, uh, guys, this, this has been fun. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, I say this at the end of every podcast um, and uh, uh, let's just fucking wheel through it again, shall we? Um, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, there are uh, there's a Patreon. Do you know what? I'm going to start this again. Uh, guys, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, I would ask maybe jump on the Patreon. Um, there's three tiers. It's super easy to get involved. Uh, there's a first one, which is three pounds a month, which is basically a doff of the cap to me saying thanks very much, Aid. Really enjoying these. They do take a bit of effort to throw throw together. So um, any support and acknowledgement is, is always much appreciated. Uh, there's a second tier, which is five pounds a month. I put all of the podcasts on to Patreon first and I post my blogs there and we're having meetups. So if you jump onto the five pound a month tier, you get an uh, invite to the first meetup, which is on the 27th of October in London. Uh, so, uh, yeah, jump onto that. And then there's a third tier, which is frankly ridiculous. Uh, there are three tiers. Um, uh, there's a £10 one, basically, but that's too much. Ignore the £10 one. You've you got to do three tiers. So £3 a month is a doff of the cap. £5 a month gets you everything super early. First look podcasts. Um, I'm going to do some Q&As on there. We've got a Discord chat now, um, which is good fun. We're chatting about politics in there also. Um, so and, and exchanging memes, realistically, let's be real. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you if you would like to get involved in the community, in the cult that I'm building, then jump onto patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. If you're not in a position to support the podcast financially, um, I get that. Totally understand. Cost of living crisis, etc. Um, all I would ask is that if you're enjoying it, uh, maybe share me about. If you click the little, it's usually an upwards arrow uh, to share the link or copy the link to the podcast um, and just pop it in a WhatsApp chat or an email or a signal chat or, you know, text message and just say, I've been listening to this guy. He's a bit nutty, but I think you might be into this too. And just send it to a friend who you think might also enjoy these episodes. I do uh, one episode uh, on a Wednesday, which is usually just me talking shit about politics, riffing on things, roasting shit. And then on Friday night, I normally have a guest. You will notice that this episode did not have a guest. Uh, I was supposed to have somebody booked in last night and unfortunately that did not pan out so um you are fortunate enough to now just get me chatting to you talking shit to you about the queen um so that's it for this uh this one uh, i will be back on wednesday for the solo show again and hopefully next friday uh, one of my newer guests who i've booked in will be all good uh, and yeah until then happy morning guys uh you know in enjoy yourselves as much as as is appropriate to do so um, and if you find for some reason that you can't get in the spirit of things, you can't get sad enough, consider throwing on some Field Medic. Uh, if you don't know Field Medic, check out his Spotify. He does like lo-fi, independent kind of indie stuff. Uh, it's really good. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. He's helping me reach that appropriate level of sad right now. Or, or Bon Iver. Either or. Um, guys, that's it. Thank you so much once again. Catch up next time. Bye.